0: I'm Amanda. And I'm Kim. And this is The Department, a podcast about trends, taste, brands, and products.
1: Welcome to episode seventeen. Here, um, you know, we'll we'll do a little bit of a soft opener, but before we do that, uh, you know, I just wanted to remind everyone uh, to give us a good, you know, a rating on Apple Podcasts. You know, we really appreciate it if you can give us a star or give us a little, a little message, a comment. Uh, it Really helps us. We will push it on on our social channel, and you know, you'll you'll see your words in in lights, essentially.
0: <laughs> in, light. <laughs> in the department. In light. In the de-
1: or actually really in our stories. But, you know, we really, really appreciate it. So if you could take a moment or two, you know, give us a, a rating or a review. As our soft opener here, Amanda, you know, I've sort of seen a new trend that you have been posting about on Instagram oh, that no. I would love for you to. <laughs> do you know
0: what I'm talking about? Are you like, wait, which trend? No, I have no idea. I know I'm like so trendy, it's hard for me to say. <laughs> well, I actually
1: looked that I think it was today. You might've, it might have been a um, carryover from a yesterday post, but your your faux fruit.
0: Oh no, yeah, that trend. was that's a new one today. Yeah. Uh yeah, I mean, I actually think this might be a trend, Kim. It's mm-hmm. it's in early mm-hmm. stages, but I've always loved artificial fruit. My grandma always had it. Did your grandma have it? I mean, it was one of those things that you would see. We're talking about fruit trying that to remember, yeah. is supposed to look realistic Yeah, that you might put out in a bowl. I don't know why. Why wouldn't you just buy some real fruit? I'm assuming this was in a time when people didn't buy as much produce as we do now, right? It's probably, it's hard to get. It's hard, it's hard to, to It was get, more it was yeah.
1: expensive and it was hard to get. I mean, that was probably the time when they would give limes and oranges in stockings for Christmas presents. Mm,
0: Luxury, luxury.
1: Luxury. I mean, I was going to say that it is kind of grandma core slash cottage core. of. Oh,
0: it totally is. I will say the thrift stores out where I live are like, they are just pure cottage core. That is apparently what Lancaster County is. And Mm. uh, I started seeing a lot of this artificial fruit and I would always go over and look at it, admire it and feel sort of excited about it. And then I just started buying it. Because no one else is. And so I've been building these sort of like still lifes of of artificial fruit that are very stylized, I think. And uh, I long term want to do like a huge art project with it. I don't know what it is yet, but I have a few ideas. Uh, So I'm constantly on the look for the good faux fruit. And it's got to be the vintage kind. And you can tell because, well, believe it or not, people still make faux fruit, but it's like... You, when you pick it up, it'll be very light and hollow. And you know, that's that's not the good stuff. Mm. This has to be heavy, maybe even rubbery, have like the weight of real fruit. So that's what I'm after.
1: I almost think you should start an Instagram account for my faux
0: fruit. (laughs) Oh,
1: absolutely. I think that you would actually amass a really good, big following. I haven't seen it trending yet. And I mean, since jello molds and faux flowers and things are trending. I can't imagine why faux fruit wouldn't.
0: I mean, you might be with something because I will tell you the first time I posted faux fruit was about a month ago. And, you know, I felt a little vulnerable because mm-hmm. I hadn't seen anybody ever talk about it. <laughs> and I had a bunch of really incredible faux grapes that I found and I arranged yeah. them on, on a little dish. And people were so excited. Like I'm yeah. still getting texts from people who are like, you inspired me to buy faux fruit. Yeah. And uh, I was like, wow, this is like the most exciting post I've posted on my personal Instagram in a really (laughs) long time. So I don't know. Maybe you're right. I'm going to think about it some more. Mm -hmm. I think if, you know, I think the key is like the Barbara Walters filter (laughs) and like, like
1: a velvet backdrop.
0: I mean, I wish. I've been trying some other stuff Mm -hmm. out. Fortunately, my house has a lot of like wood paneling walls, but like in a good way. And uh, they look really good with the faux fruit. (laughs)
1: I can imagine. I think, I think you, I think this is, this might be your new calling.
0: <laughs> Maybe. <laughs>
1: <laughs> All right. Well, jumping in to the um, episode 17, it is our, it's the first of what will hopefully be an occasional series of what we like to call here at the department tragic trends.
0: Hashtag tragic uh, trends.
1: <laughs> hashtag, hashtag tragic trends. Uh, it's one that is close to Amanda and I as well, which
0: is kind of, oh. <laughs> it's kind
1: of, you know, it, it's kind of exciting. It's kind of interesting also to, to, to hear from the perspective of people that were kind of deep in it. Um, and mm-hmm. so this is really about the cult of the girl boss. Oh. Uh, yeah. Oh, Amanda, are you surprised?
0: <laughs> no, I mean I'm not. I will say <laughs> it's 2020, and we're going to talk uh-huh. about this a lot through the episode. But I guess I, and perhaps because I was in it, and so were you, mm-hmm. I thought girl boss had died a long time ago. But maybe it had just died for me, and so yeah. I will still see people, women on Instagram, on LinkedIn. In some of the professional no. groups I belong to, be like, any other girl bosses out there? Hashtag girl boss. And I'm like, Gross. "God, I will stay away from you. So I guess you're already, <laughs> listeners, getting the idea of how I feel about girl boss. Mm-hmm.
1: <laughs> and you'll understand why. If you don't know now, by the end of the episode, you you'll understand learn. why. Yes. Yeah.
0: You'll learn um, why so, we're both drinking alcohol right now to record this.
1: You know what? I'm. I think I might just crack my just, margarita just go, here.
0: Yeah. yeah. So it, yeah. Kim's having a um, panned margarita. I am having a Pendleton whiskey and soda. Uh, Pendleton cute. from Hood River, Oregon. Just Shout out to the Pacific Northwest. Is it actual Pendleton? Uh, Pendleton. No, it's not Pendleton. You know, Pendleton is also a place.
1: Oh, Pendleton, gotcha. Oregon. I, I didn't know, know that.
0: Yeah. Hmm. Um, okay, anyway,
1: so as you may or may not know, Amanda and I both worked as buyers at Nasty Gal at the cusp of their collapse and sale to British-owned Boohoo. Which is garbage so that's clothes. Right. Just, garbage clothes. Okay. Total, total garbage clothes. <laughs> uh, uh, no, absolutely. You're, Amanda, you're welcome to, to kind of explain it a little bit more because if you've noticed that something was off with Nasty Gal for over the past couple of years and things have changed and product isn't there and quality has gone down... You're not alone and you're not going crazy. It is because it's a completely different business.
0: Yeah, and it happened in a really strange way. Uh, I I would assume especially for customers who didn't know what was going on. And basically, Nasty Gal had this crazy clearance, everything must go sale for, I don't know, like maybe a month. And then one night at midnight, the site Mm -hmm. turned off and it switched over to being owned by Boohoo. It turned back on. Totally different product, same kind of aesthetic, but everything was about half the price that it had Mm -hmm. been before. Brand new stuff, right? And everything was like just slightly off. Like maybe the font was just a little bit smaller. Maybe the Mm. images were just a little bit bigger. But otherwise, it seemed to be the same. And I know I would laugh. I would just laugh and laugh seeing people on social media. (laughs) freaking the fuck out because they were like why did it take my package a whole month to come and then it came from london or why don't you do returns or i got this stuff and it was really cheap quality which i i mean so was nasty gal so i'm not really sure where the can i mean there was,
1: was there was there was some yeah, integrity with, with Nasty gals particularly in like a lot of the accessories and a lot of, and like the, um, the private label clothes were actually were so really cool. nice.
0: Yeah. 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 Just all that like downtown cheap fast fashion stuff that wasn't. Yeah. And, uh, it was, I mean, for a customer, I'm, I try to put myself in their shoes. It must've been insane to mm-hmm. wake up, go on nasty gal and like all the stuff to be there to be that, to, like that looked really cool. But then everything was like $14 and, I mean, you and I, we were laid off from Nasty Gal before they went bankrupt because they were about, they were about to go bankrupt for like 100 years or something. Mm -hmm. And (laughs) you and I, when we heard that Boohoo was buying them, I Googled Boohoo. I'd never heard of them. And I will tell you, I looked at their website and the most expensive thing on their site was $20. Oh. So yeah, it was, it was weird. It was weird. it was
1: weird, and I feel like yeah. I think I think you're onto something about the customer just being like, "Wait, like something's off," but I can't figure it out.
0: Because it was and, almost the
1: <laughs> same. It was like well, they kept they kept the same creative team mm-hmm, to mm-hmm. to do the, the the styling and the shoots and the same models and everything. And
0: everyone else was gone though. Like all the buyers gone. You know, everybody mm-hmm. else who worked for the company lost their job. All the brands, any brand that they work with, gone. Gone because yeah, one thing. About Boohoo is Boohoo owns several other brands. I know one is called, like, Pretty Little Thing or something like that. And, uh, you know, now Nasty Gal. And it is very, very fast, very, very cheap, fast fashion. Like, it is. I mean, they got into trouble this year. Yeah. Right? Yeah, they did. They they got into trouble. For paying people pennies, basically. Yeah, to produce clothes. Yeah. So, yeah. And they, they... I remember one of the things I'd read about them is that they've been so successful and so profitable because they have such control over their supply chain that they can make things really, really fast and for very little money, which is Mm -hmm. scary. Like, I think Boohoo is known for, like, some one pound, meaning, like, the currency, not the weight, one pound bikinis. I mean, it's really fast fashion.
1: Oh, I mean... That, oh. Yeah. You can only imagine.
0: Yeah, you can only imagine. So anyway. Anyways, I mean, this isn't...
1: This isn't about us, but we do have some background in this girl boss situation, and we will we'll bring it up on, from time to time. You know, Amanda actually has much more experience with the girl boss situation than <laughs> oh I do. She's worked she's worked a little longer with more girl bosses. Yeah. Um, so you know, I, I will enjoy referring back to her and 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 uh, <laughs> asking her questions on this. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so Girlboss, or mer- more precisely, hashtag Girlboss, was originally coined in 2014 by our old, I'm not exactly sure what, we would label her Girlboss. <laughs> uh, Where, uh, Sophia Amoruso yeah. Um who I would consider one of the first of a growing population in the early to mid aughties of celebrity businesswomen entrepreneurs who use their fame and fortune and social media presence to build more fame and fortune and social media presence.
0: <laughs> wow, the American dream, guys. <laughs> yeah. And so Sophia Amaruso,
1: Amaruso. <laughs> oh,
0: <what>? Amaruso, <laughs> Amaruso. Amaruso. <laughs> Let me just say Sophia. I'm gonna say Sophia.
1: For okay. some reason, I, I always think of Amorosa. You remember from um, from tr- uh, Trump's shit? Actually, anyway. I think that was Amarosa.
0: Let's see, I don't even know. <laughs> anyway, I, I saw that you'd misspelled it a bunch in our doc, and I went in and changed the wall one by one for you. I know, I I well, I had noticed that
1: when I was writing up show notes, and I was like, oh my god, why am I, why did I spell this so incorrectly? And I was gonna go back, and then I noticed that it had been changed, and I was like, <laughs> I was like, oh, Amanda's gonna think I'm such a ding dong. Oh
0: no, no, <laughs> I was just like, I worked there longer
1: than you. you did you did and <laughs> and also Sophia was not around. Like I, she came to one meeting
0: yeah. that I was in, and she had been drinking. She was drinking champagne. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. And I told you because mm-hmm. I would say I was there probably like twice as long as you. I'd been in a total of two meetings with her. One of them was the one you were in, so it was. <laughs> people would always be like, "What's it like to work well, exactly. with Sophia?" And I'd be like, "I I have no idea." Ex- Oh my God, everyone no asked
1: me that, and I was yeah. like, I have no idea. She, I, I, I saw her with her poodles on the, uh, uh, on the elevator, and she talked to me once. Yeah, like I that's to her. about it. I talked to her
0: at the holiday party. Yeah,
1: yeah, that, that was kind was of it. it. Yeah. Um. Well, anyway, so Sophia, and this is pulled directly from the headlines of Wikipedia here. Um, founder Ooh. of Nasty Gal, a women's fashion retailer. If you, if any, if you guys don't know what Nasty Gal is that we keep referring to, <laughs> which. Went on to be named one of the fastest growing companies by Inc. magazine in 2012. Um, and then to, in 2016, she was named one of the richest self made women in the world by Forbes. Hmm. Did you know that?
0: I didn't know that, but uh, I mean, I didn't know that either. I will say that, and I don't know if you have this plan to mention this, but like. Nasty Gal had what I would call, when I get interviewed and people ask me, like for job interviews and people ask me what happened at Nasty Gal, I say, mm-hmm. there was a lack of fiscal discipline mm-hmm. <laughs> and it was because just no one was keeping track of how much money they were spending on marketing and whatnot. It was a hot mess. Yeah. Yeah. Like opening stores that shouldn't be open. You know, yeah. Just a bunch yeah. Of, it was a, a bunch disaster. Bunch and it's not, yeah. I will say this, it's not all Sophia's fault. No. I think she picked the wrong people to run her company. That's what I think. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, and she she stepped out of the, of of really running the company to be a celebrity. Mm-hmm. Totally. And that totally. I mean, I you know what? I don't I don't blame her for it. That's way more fun no, than running no, a company. For <laughs> sure. For sure. Well, back in 2014, Sophia popularized the word girl boss. Adding a hashtag prefix, she sent it s- like skyrocketing into the public consciousness as the title of her o- autobiography named Hashtag Girlboss, uh, which we also had to read before starting. Do you remember reading this, Amanda?
0: Okay, I'm going to be really honest with you that I only read the mm. first third of it. Not because it was poorly written, but because it just... I. I think I'm just way too skeptical of that kind of stuff. And I really hate, which we'll talk about this a little bit more when we talk about the fall of Girl Boss. I really hate this concept that if you just go out and work really hard all the time, you'll definitely be rich and successful and fuck everything else around you. It's just about hard work because that's just not true. And when I hear people kind of spewing that sort of rhetoric, I assume they come from a really privileged background. I'm just not interested. And so I was like, I'm bored mm-hmm. with this. Like I got as far as like, she's feeding her models cheeseburgers or whatever.
1: <laughs> yeah, you know? yeah. 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 I mean, I don't really remember the book at all. So, um,
0: and, and I <laughs> didn't go back to reread
1: it. <laughs> the
0: other thing I remember about it, which may be incorrectly is it wasn't, it wasn't a particularly thick book, Mm-mm, right? No, but it seems like there were only like 10 words on each page. Like mm-hmm. it was in like really big font. So I think it may have really been more of a novella okay. <laughs> or like an essay.
1: <laughs> yeah. Okay. Easy to digest, you know, for the attention span of the millennial.
0: Yeah. And the other thing that I just hated about it, which, uh, you know, when people talk about that terrible girl boss series on Netflix, yes. which I don't even know if we're really going to talk about I mean, I, Did you watch that? No, I didn't go near it. Yeah. Me neither. Me neither. I'm like, I have PTSD. I can't watch exactly. that. Exactly. One thing I've heard about the show that I also think is echoed in the book is this idea that like, you can just kind of be an asshole and it's okay right? if you're a girl boss. Right. You know? What and the I fuck? Don't like, no. I don't like that either. And I think that also comes from just like a place of privilege. It is. It's infuriating. Mm-hmm. And I don't think it's a good tone to set. It is not. <laughs> it's not a good precedent, well, I guess I would say. And it's one of the
1: reasons why the it got canceled because people really don't agree with that either.
0: Yeah, and I think, I mean, I remember reading one review for it, which I think I may have sent you, that was basically like, the main character of this, ostensibly Sophia, is literally the worst person yes. ever, so you have no investment in the show yes. right off the bat. You're like, I hate everyone on this show. Yeah. <laughs>
1: <laughs> All right, so <laughs> 2014, you know, the word girl boss, you know, kind of skyrockets, and then these monikers like,
0: hashtag boss babe, uh, sh- she CEO, oh, don't get me started. We're going to talk about a CEO mm-hmm. later. Mompreneur,
1: mom, Mompre- <laughs> <No>. mompreneur, <laughs> no. and no, and oh, my favorite, boss bitch. Jesus,
0: <laughs> that uh, one well, those started cropping up too. in its wake
1: as well. Yeah. Um, yeah. All reincarnations of the same ideal, and what we will show is kind of in you know, it. Is part of the tragedy, um, which is the young, <laughs> ambitious woman, mostly white, uh, who can have it all while lifting up other women on mm-hmm. her path to success. You know how you know how ambitious. Um, so this concept of girl boss saw crazy rise and then a shunning by the same community. In fact, by two thousand twenty, the cracks started to show, and these concepts became actually in bad taste and really tone deaf. While businesses just crumbled. Around it.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: <laughs> Hilariously. Yeah.
0: yeah. Yeah. It was so interesting to me to realize, and we'll get to this later. It happened in a, all of it happened kind of in a very short period of time, which I had not me realized. Too. And I think it's because my concept mm-hmm. of time is so skewed by this year, mm-hmm. right? But it all came tumbling down yeah. at once, which I think yeah. is very mm mm-hmm. too. Mm-hmm.
1: Um, So anyway, so Amanda and I are actually going to explore this more. I mean, obviously, we've already kind of uh, dived into it, but we're going to get even deeper. And I'm going to start going uh, on into the rise and Amanda will go into the fall. Which is a lot more exciting and more gossip (laughs) written. So as a note, I'll be quoting a little bit from some articles. They're all super reliable resources and really well written. And I just, you know, I think that reading from them kind of reflects the zeitgeist at the time. So I'll just Mm -hmm. let you know when I'm I'm, I'm doing some quotes. Uh, Because obviously this is like 10 years, you know, 10 10 years ago. Uh, So taking us... Just picture it exactly. So, take, t- taking it back, taking us back um, to help us understand 2014 and the birth of Girl Boss, please join me as we go even further back to 2010. So, yes, picture it 2010.
0: This we is a year we've never talked about before. As far I know. As know this is going way back. This is going way
1: back, um, and it actually is pretty important. Um, uh, You know, we had just teetered out of the 2008 recession and entered into a new millennium, 2010. Uh, We started seeing that booming new industry of disruptors and VC capitalism. Mm
0: -hmm. Social media
1: and Instagram in particular was blowing up, uh, and we had the continued introduction as well uh, to the coming of age of the millennial into the workforce. <laughs> the in oldest.
0: The recession, basically.
1: The, yeah, exactly. In the recession. So the oldest millennial at this time was 29 years old and the youngest was 14. So this was a really pivotal time for that group where professional g- growth and aspiration collide. Um, and, you know, don't forget that millennials are highly aspirational as well. So inspiring mm-hmm. in every aspect of their life and broadcasting it across social media. So now, for the first time, women were seriously outnumbering men in the workforce as well as in universities. In 2010, The Atlantic came out with an article titled The End of Men. It was by (laughs) Hannah Rosen. (laughs) (laughs) Which later in 2012 became a book by the same title. And the article contends a new cultural shift. And she theorizes that women have essentially won the gender war. Which, I mean, (laughs) looking back, you know, 10 years later, could you agree? No, not at all. Um,
0: I mean, preposterous, you know.
1: (laughs) It's it's actually kind of laughable. And what is really laughable is I I did some, like, as I was reading some of these articles and some of these statistics, I would look forward and see what they, what changed. And the change was so small. It was actually kind of silly. Um, But anyway... She is essentially trying to theorize that we've won the gender war, warranting a change within the American economy, stating that with the 2008 recession, um, it offered an excessively skewed loss of traditionally male jobs. So this is quoting from the article 2010. It says, um, Earlier this year, for the first time in American history, the balance of the workforce tipped toward women who now hold a majority of the nation's jobs. The working class, which has long defied our notion of masculinity, is slowly turning into a matriarchy with men increasingly absent from the home uh, uh, with and with women making all the decisions. Women dominate today's colleges and professional schools. For every two men who will receive a BA this year, three women will do the same. Of the 15 job categories projected to grow the most in the next, next decade in the U.S., All but two are occupied primarily by women. Indeed, the U.S. economy is in some ways becoming a kind of traveling sisterhood. (laughs) Upper class women leave home and enter the workforce, creating domestic jobs for all other women to fill. How monumental, Amanda. But... (laughs) not so fast. Don't forget about, you know, that good old reliable glass ceiling. So even with this shift, there was a continuing obvious disparity at the executive level. So that glass Mm -hmm. ceiling we know so well, where women are continually missing from the upper management, which became a larger and larger conversation piece, especially with the obvious elephant that there were so many women now in the workplace and how disproportionate it is. So, McKinsey reported back in 2011 this article on what holds women back. And what is an interesting note, they report on this every year. And it really has barely changed. So, this is one of those things I was talking about where it's like, okay, this is 2011. All right, what happened in 2020? And it's like basically the same thing. So, Mm -hmm. what they say is, As has been well-documented, corporate America has a, quote-unquote, leaky talent pipeline. At each transition up the management ranks, more women are left behind. Women represent, in 2011, 53% of new hires at the very first step in their career advancement, which they will later call, um, in, in other articles, the broken rung. (laughs) which is an ever-present foe to women even today. When individual Mm -hmm. contributors are promoted uh, to managers, that number drops to 37%. So 53% 53 goes to 37%. Climbing higher, only 26% of vice presidents and senior executives are female and only 14% of executive committee Um, and on average are women. Uh, at that point, women are doubly handicapped because as our research of the U.S. corporations show, 62% are in staff jobs that rarely lead to a CEO role. In contrast, mm-hmm. I, know, I know it's a lot of numbers here, but 65% of men on executive communities hold line jobs. So, you know, it's like even at the starting gate, you know, you're not mm-hmm. even in line to progress higher.
0: No, I mean, and and I will say that I... And I'm assuming probably you too. I definitely fell for this girl boss hype, at least in the very Mm -hmm. beginning. Not the book, but the idea of it because, you know. You wanted to. And right. And for the first years of my career, I worked for a huge corporation uh, where I I tell the story all the time to people, like why I decided to leave that place was because the work, the workforce there was predominantly female. I would say. 90, 95% of the people who at that time worked on the campus were women. And we, ha- we sat in, you know, the classic open seating floor plan, right? Mm. So there were on my floor where easily well more than a hundred people worked, right? It's huge building, There were offices along the one wall, and everybody in the office was male, and everybody who was sitting in the open seating was women, and the only thing that was different is that all the men were in leadership. Amanda, I had the exact same experience. Right. And so, you know, and so for me, it was like, well, the ceiling on my career is low. I can see that. because. Every once in a while a woman would get to move into one of those offices and she would be ousted within a year. Mm-hmm. Like it's almost like if you took one of those offices as a woman, you knew your career was about to end there.
1: Yeah. Oh, and when when they would do executive hires, they would they wouldn't talk to anyone on the team. They would hire oh, from outside. A always. Man. It was always, always always always.
0: And <sighs> it even reached a point mm-hmm. where they were starting to bring in men to fill the highest roles in that open floor plan area and it was like well wait wait a minute oh, wow. why are you hiring men to be the dmm's here and and women's? and it would be sort of be like well because they have yeah more background in finance it would be that kind <gasps> of thing and oh, i jeez
1: that makes me sick
0: that, that was one of the reasons i left because i just mm-hmm. i felt like I couldn't ever really do much there, you know? Mm. And so for me to be like, oh my God, all these women being in charge, running their own businesses, women who come from different atypical backgrounds, they don't have an MBA. Like, yeah, this is amazing. Sign me up. Yeah. Yeah. I
1: mean, it it definitely has. It's like, it's like, a, it's like a romanticized version of just like, oh my God, I can, I can actually aspire to something.
0: And at that time you could. Yeah, like we could be CEOs. Mm-hmm. It felt like it. Yeah. For sure. For sure. Well, anyway, this
1: actually also helps explain why the number of women CEOs in Fortune 500 companies appear to be stuck at 2 to 3%. That was 2011.
0: That's insane. And now? That's insane. I
1: looked at the numbers. It is 7%. And this is an all-time high. 7%. <laughs>
0: Aren't there like worldwide roughly more women than men? Yeah. Like fifty-two percent of the population is female, mm-hmm. or something like that. Like, what the fuck, guys? I did read a
1: really interesting fact from McKinsey report this year. Uh, it says research shows that company profits and share performance can be close to fifty percent higher when women are well represented at the top. Of course, we're good at we're things. Good, you guys. Trust us, you know? I mean, I I, this really is the first time I've kind of sat back and spent a lot of time kind of researching this. And it's it's just like it's just fascinating information, but it also it was really depressing. And it really took me back to, you know, my my career. I was just trying to build my career and just like the constant battles and Mm -hmm. you know, just being kind of treated like a second citizen and and, and that glass ceiling, that seeing that glass ceiling, just being like, there's literally no way for me to achieve anything beyond where I'm sitting right now in my position. And there mm-hmm. never will be. So I have to move and keep trying to move. And just the competition is so fierce for these these jobs that aren't even executive level because you don't even have the the, the
0: opportunity. Totally. And the other thing that I would experience a lot, it was this very like paternalistic patronizing attitude. Yes from the men who were above me on the ladder, Mm. right? And so talking to me as if I was a girl, calling us all girls, right? Girls.
1: That makes me so sick. Yeah, yeah.
0: And, and I mean, even I would go out to market and I'd meet some of those, like, old Garmento sales reps, Mm. men, of course. And they would ask me, like, oh, are you just doing this until you get married? And I was like, this is the 21st century. Like, where are you from, you know? But this... It God. sounds like we're talking about the 50s right now, mm-hmm. and we're, in fact, talking about recent times.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Ten, it's been 10 years, and, it, and like I said, it barely has changed. Barely. I haven't seen this anything ce- The change. CEO. Yeah. Yeah. The CEO number is, like, the most amount of change I've seen from going from, like, 3% to 7%. And once
0: again, women are more than half the population. This is, like a yeah, huge exactly. discrepancy.
1: <laughs> and, and and in the workforce, you know, I mean, I think it might have evened out a little bit more at, to the point that maybe there's a little bit more men in the workplace now. But anyway, um, so the McKinsey report did talk about the different attributes to the disparity um, amongst uh, uh, amongst these numbers. And there's a few factors, including lifestyle, a lot of family stuff, mm-hmm. work-life stuff, uh, embedded into the in- institutional mindsets and just, like, general misogyny. Mm-hmm. Um, but there's a great quote. You know, several diversity officers and experts told them that despite their best efforts, women are often evaluated for promotions primarily on performance, while men are often promoted on potential. <laughs> So men just have a bigger leg up at Isn't all that
0: times. crazy? I mean, several
1: diversity, like lots of people. It's a well-known thing.
0: It's so interesting to me because like for the majority mm-hmm. of the last about 10 years, a little bit less, I've worked for smaller startups where we didn't have a lot of like formal performance review type stuff, you know, like in place. But when mm-hmm. I was working for that big corporation where only men got to be executives – Our performance reviews were so – like a big chunk of them was based on the performance of our business. But then it was like they already knew that they weren't going to give you a promotion because they couldn't for whatever reason. And so they would have to make up things to dock you points for. And I remember one time my review being like, you're doing an amazing job. Like, you have so much potential. You're so smart. You do everything right. I can't think of anything bad to say. But sometimes it's hard to tell if you're being sarcastic or not. Like, that would be what my performance review was. You would never give a man a performance oh review like God. that. Yeah. Yeah. That's heartbreaking. It, it is heartbreaking. It is super heartbreaking. You know, when I was a kid, I asked my mom if I if she thought maybe I could be president one day. And she said, women don't get to do that. Oh. And... I was just like, oh, she's such a relic. She's such a fucking boomer or whatever. You know, I'm like in third grade. I'm saying it. No, but like in retrospect, I got to be an adult and go out and live in the adult world and like, you know, the business world. And I was like, oh yeah, she's right. Mm -hmm. Women don't get to be president. Mm
1: -hmm. I mean, at this point, you know, you can be a, it seems like (laughs) from my experience, it's like you can be a VP, a president, a CEO, CEO, CFO if you're in a company that is either run by women or run by gay men, you know, like I,
0: I yeah. that's it. Yeah. I totally agree. I totally agree. I mean, I could tell you tons of stories of mm-hmm. me sitting at a table with mm-hmm. all men, men who have less work experience and expertise than me and them not letting me get a single word into the conversation of the meeting I'm in. <laughs> and I think, yeah. That says something, you know?
1: It does say something. I mean.
0: (laughs) It does say something. Like this, once again, it sounds like we're talking about the Mm -hmm. 50s. We're talking about just a couple years ago.
1: Yeah. I mean, the struggle is real. It is tough. I mean, we have both just crawled and climbed (laughs) and scrabbled and scraped our way to even get to, you know, the positions we're at that, you know, oftentimes we're, you know, overqualified for. And and then once you get overqualified then they won't hire you for anything else and it's just very
0: frustrating. Yeah, so you can see why this girl mm-hmm. boss idea is so appealing. It's so appealing. It sells itself.
1: Uh, well, you know? and then more importantly, for my next point of one of the reasons why women are held back on that broken rung is the lack of access to informal networks where they can make important connections, a lack of female role models higher up in the organization, and a lack of sponsors to provide opportunities, which many male colleagues have. And that takes us on to our next Mm -hmm. discussion point, which is about role models. Um, So with such a low number of women advancing, there's just like, so few role models for women you know particularly millennials and millennials resonate with millennials and there just wasn't a whole lot of people to look look up to at that time in business enter facebook mm-hmm. coo superstar shale sandberg who is not a millennial but inspired many of these millennial alpha business women that we're going to be talking about <sighs> In 2010, she gave an electrifying TED Talk called Why We Have Too Few Women Leaders, in which she describes how women unintentionally hold themselves back in their career. Her talk, which has been viewed more than 6 million times, encouraged women to drive themselves forward into the pit towards executive achievement. This TED Talk was inspiring for just so many women and was actually considered a pivot point for a lot of them. A lot of the ones that were high, you know, that ended up achieving, you know, high status. So Sandberg came out with a best selling book in 2013 called Lean In Women, Work and the Will to Lead to Legions of fans in an effort to change the conversation from what women can't do to what they can. And Sandberg provides practical advice on how to achieve their dream of the corner office with tips on negotiation techniques, mentorship, and building a satisfying career. She essentially pushes the idea that feminism is an independent execution that a woman can bear for herself to move herself forward through personal, professional advocacy. Mind you here, though. Cheryl is from a very well-known Ivy League background. <laughs> of course, that's always the catch, <laughs> Which offers right? many different advantages and resources that are not achievable unless you went to Harvard, which she did. So she's been critiqued many, many times for this, just, you know, as a perspective. Um, but, you know, also this was really the only book at the time that really kind of tried to push this, this concept And it did give, it gives tons and tons of great resources and quotes and research. Uh, I've been reading it. So anyway, um, so Medium wrote, if you were an ambitious young white woman seeking to break through the glass ceiling at work, Sheryl Sandberg was your mentor. Lean in, women, work, and the will to lead was your guide to overcoming the type A personality defects. Perfectionism, people-pleasing, fear of criticism, self-doubt, holding you back from the C-suite. And I find this quote particularly amusing because it seems as though that a lot of these leaders or of disruptor companies seem to fall in this category, um, mm-hmm. that type A personality defect and really the real reason for their success and potential downfall. Nonetheless, her teachings have been cited by a lot of these female entrepreneurs as a North Star piece and a game changer for women seeking to advance in their careers. And on on all my research, it just kept coming back to this book over, over, over again. So I'm actually reading it myself because I am so curious. I have not, I've barely gotten through it because I was doing so much research on this, but I'm going to continue to read it. Um, so women were really looking for someone to look to up to, and there weren't that many, especially someone glamorous, millennial, and quote-unquote, like them, which was just really rare. There was, like,
0: mm-hmm. Lady
1: Gaga and who else around that time period?
0: That was, like, cool and yeah. smart. I can't think of anyone. Yeah. <laughs> I know. Lady Gaga. That's it. Hillary, That's all we had. Hillary Clinton. I guess, but Hillary Clinton's like our mom's Not, not millennial, exactly. Yeah. Uh, there was one
1: woman who's also not really a millennial, but Tina Fey, who came out with her autobiography, Bossy Pants, in 2011. And there was this really interesting title, don't you think? Like that <laughs> word bossy was actually trending as a really shitty word that gets kind of pinned on women in leadership roles. And there was this trend to dismantle the use of the word Bossy. Researchers found that women who exert their leadership by behaving like men are seen as quote unquote bossy and less effective than male counterparts who behave the exact same way. So here's a little quote from Bossy Pants, Tina Facebook. Ever since I became an executive producer at 30 Rock, people have asked me, is it hard for you being the boss? And is it uncomfortable for you to be the one person in charge? You know, Uh, In this same way, they say, gosh, Mr. Trump, is it awkward for you to be the boss of all these people? I can't answer for Mr. Trump, but in my case, it is not, writes Faye. (laughs) I've learned a lot over the years of what it means to be the boss of people. Contrary to what I believed as a little girl, being the boss almost never involved marching around, waving your arms, and chanting, I am the boss, I am the boss. (laughs) So in 2014, The same Lean In author, Sandberg, um, her latest headline making action was it was called the Ban Bossy Campaign, which aimed at getting rid of the word bossy. She had a nonprofit group at by this time um, is LeanIn.org, which still exists to this day and has lots of leadership leadership. Uh, instructions and groups and things. Um, So she teamed up with a lot of big names like Beyonce and Condoleezza Rice to produce a public service announcement to stop using the word bossy. Uh, She said, bossy is one of the many ways we discourage little girls from leading. She told NPR uh, on All Things Considered. When a little boy leads, it's expected. We applaud him. When, But when girls lead, we call them bossy. We tell them not to. We tell them to put down their hands. We do this in very explicit ways and implicit ways. The research shows that by middle school, more boys than girls want to lead. What is your experience with this word, Amanda?
0: I mean, I'm going to tell you that... At one point, I was managing a pretty large team of like 20, 30 people, and it was pretty evenly split between men and women. And I found out, I mean, you know how I am as a person. I am not a very aggressive person at all. No. And I am i would say that one of my biggest leadership faults is that I am too nice and too understanding. I,
1: you uh, know what? I actually kind of disagree because I've seen the way that you lead. A new lead with a smile Mm -hmm. but in a a really, just like a really positive way. And, but you also don't really take a lot of shit.
0: I found out that the male members of my team Mm -hmm. were calling me demanda. (gasps) That's what they called me. (laughs) And I'm like, well, you're right. I do demand that you come to work on time and do your job. Like that. I mean, right. Demanda. And uh, as a person who has never been particularly demanding now, Conversely, I will tell you that I had a job where my boss told me, she's a woman too, that I would be a lot more successful in my career if I cared less about the people who worked for me. Yeah. So. That's great. I'm Awesome. I'm getting it from all sides, you know? And I feel, I will just say this, when you, if you are a woman in a managerial position, you cannot win. You can't. <laughs> you can't. You can't. I'm getting on one hand. You expect too much from us on the other hand you shouldn't care what these people think if you want to be successful or you shouldn't care yeah. about them you know especially
1: when you come into an established business with a lot of men it's very yeah. hard very um, very and an established business actually any established business unless you've kind of been there from the start leading it is really hard to come in as a, a leader
0: I, I mean, I will say this, and you know this. I know you had a similar experience. <laughs> Nasty Gal mm. was the most brutal place Neither. I've ever started working. Where, like, our, my team was completely women. In fact, all the buyers were women, right? And these girls were fucking bitches. I hated them. They were it. mean, mean, Uh-oh. mean girls. And we'll talk about that a little bit mm-hmm. more later. I have, you know, that is one of the drawbacks of girl boss culture mm-hmm. is that somehow it involves a lot of just... Really nasty, <laughs> nasty people. Okay. Nasty, yeah. Yeah.
1: Well, okay. Anyway, so interestingly, in 2000, 2014 um, is when Girl Boss came out. This is right at the same time that Sandberg is also trying to push the word bossy away. You know, all of a sudden, Sophia is, is you know, embracing the word boss um, and kind of bossiness. Um, anyway, so she's kind of taking that noise of the bossiness and flipping it. But also kind of dismantling a lot of the work and campaign that Sandberg is doing. I'm so curious what Sandberg thought at the time.
0: Yeah, um, I, I wonder too. Did
1: a little bit of research and I, I didn't really see anything. You know, uh, I'm sh- I'm sure there was a lot of frustrations. You know, but also you know, Sophia does, you know, credit Sandberg for a lot of positive things too. Mm. Um, anyway, when someone tweeted a complaint about the book's title, suggesting that grown women shouldn't be calling themselves girls, Amorosa. Responded immediately. How's hashtag broad boss, or would you prefer hashtag matron boss? We're like, no, we just prefer boss.
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's that simple. I mean, I will say, I know you're going to get into this. Yeah, I know that Sophia is trying to be like irreverent here totally. and be like, I am totally. challenging all the paradigms, mm-hmm. but. If you want to, like, dismantle these kinds mm-hmm. of stereotypes and ma- and sort of subvert these words, you have to be really educated about it. You have to do the work to get yeah. there. You can't just come in and be like, I really? have decided that feminism, I'm not a feminist. Feminism mm-hmm. is stupid. I, it's silly. I'm post-feminist. If you don't even really know what feminism is, and mm-hmm. I guess that's what I'm saying is happening here, in my opinion. Yeah. Yeah. I it's mean, kind of half baked, you we know, were, like,
1: such like a sensitive time period where everyone was trying to really grow in the right direction. And, you know, and but everyone was trying to grasp onto something and like, like, you know, look towards someone as, as like, <sighs> <a millennial, laughs> as like a millennial hero. And this is, you know, and unfortunately this kind of what happened was
0: girl I know. I know. You know what this makes me think of, you know, I think about, you know, like abstract art, okay? The kind of things where someone's like, my five-year-old could have done that and it just sold for a million dollars, right? So like one of the first things you learn in art school, (laughs) I swear, is like, hey, you know, Jackson Pollock, right? He was just dropping paint everywhere. Let me show you Jackson Pollock's early work. I mean, he can Mm. fucking draw, (laughs) right? He can really paint. He has amazing technique. He's just one of a gazillion examples out there and or you look at Andy Warhol who's primarily doing screen printing and you're like anyone can do that he also is an incredible artist he can draw f- from you know the beginning mm-hmm. to the end right and this is the same idea that people think they can just step in and be like I'm post feminist feminism I'm tossing that inside I practiced this new abstract version of identity. Uh, But you can't do that if you didn't learn how to draw or in this case, understand feminism in the first place. Right. And it's frustrating because you have people like Sophia coming in and creating this movement, but there's no like education behind it. You know, Mm -hmm. I feel like that it was like a house of cards from day one, I guess is what I'm saying. Yeah. I mean, it was, I mean,
1: and, and I totally get it. And I, I, you know, I I, I applaud her um, for building up her own personal brand. I think, you know, I, I have nothing against Sophia at all. Yes.
0: Sophia built up an amazing personal brand. But I think that that is something that we want to think about when we're going through here. Obviously, Sophia is a genius of marketing, right? Yes. this was that, That's exactly what I was going to say. Sorry, oh, go good. on. I was okay, like, so what was I getting at? Yeah, thank you. So, what we're talking about here is actually really successful branding. Mm-hmm. but unfortunately it is going out into the world as like a movement yes and those are two different things and this is kind of where we're going to run into trouble down the road right mm-hmm. yeah
1: exactly exactly it was really um it was really a marketing thing it was something that was supposed to be kind of like Shocking, and you know, like something conversational, like really, like shake things up. And unfortunately, there just wasn't enough. Out, there was, there was no one else to look up to, and this was basically it. And people so this grabbed. Is what we got, guys. Yeah, this is what we. Yeah. This is what we grabbed onto, and you know, and you know, it came at at a time period when it was just like people were just desperate for something, particularly women. Women wanted something that that they could mm-hmm. you know um, grab onto. So there was an article from the Cut um titled "Be Bossy." Sophia has advice for millennials and a bone to pick with Sheryl Sandberg, which is a very controversial title because I really don't think that she, it, it didn't really seem like she actually had a bone, bone to pick with Sheryl Sandberg, but it seemed like they were almost at odds at this point. And I don't
0: like that. I don't why like are, that either. trying to create this like battle between the two of them? Yeah, and
1: it didn't even, even in the article, it doesn't even really, it doesn't really sound like that, but it was happening at the same time. So the article says, says, um, or the article quotes Sophia saying, I think it's okay to call girls girls. Pause. And I think it's okay to call girls bossy. All things I completely disagree with. So to be honest, I really don't care too much about that word bossy, but I really, really hate being called a girl. And if someone in business calls me a girl, or if I'm with other girl, other women, and we're called girls, I find it so fucking condescending. (laughs) I get so furious. It's just, it's not okay. Oh, I hate it.
0: Or I hate it also when grown women are like, hashtag girl squad or hashtag girls night. I'm like, no, no, because I think I am really sensitive about it for the same reason you are, which is that I've worked in environments where men think it's okay to mm -hmm. refer to me and my very experienced coworkers as girls. Yes. Oh, and exclusively.
1: All you are are yeah. girls.
0: Hey, girls. Yeah.
1: Girls, yeah. you come in here. Oh, let's ask the girls. Like, literally, every, sing- every single
0: context, it's all about. I know, I know, I know.
1: It's so terrible. girl boss was positioned as a millennial alternative to lean in, one where an Ivy pedigree was not necessary. It made corporate achievement and fame see, well, you know, achievable. To every woman pretty much, well, every white woman essentially, but um, a rags to riches bent with an angle toward female empowerment. You know, she did essentially distill a lot of the ethos of lean in and spew it back out packaged perfectly for the hungry millennial audience as girl boss. You know, it celebrates a certain kind of business, business women, entrepreneurial, disruptive, mostly white, Uh, I'm going to keep saying that over and over again because we're going to find out why, Um, whose ambitious nature and success professionally was thought to be subversive, radical, and a feminist act. So this Cut article goes on to say, the obsession with hard work is the reason Amaruso gets away with publishing a memoir at the age of 30 in the first place. And it's also what makes the book resonate. For a lot of young women, work is life's essential central drama, a source of power and fulfillment and something worth worshipping, precisely because it's increasing scarcity. Amaruso has intuited this hunger and answered it with a glittery snapshot, part candid, part art directed, of the alpha career woman. Lena Dunham. There we go. There's one of there's one of those other women that you know you can kind uh, of. Oh, <laughs> uh,
0: I, th- I. You know it's funny because <laughs> I thought about girls yeah. so much yeah. when I was researching this. Oh my gosh. When we talk about white privilege, yes, girls. It's called girls. We're talking about girls. I know. I could do. We're gonna have to do an episode just about girls. I swear. Tragic trends, guys. Tragic trends. Tragic (laughs) trends.
1: So Lena Dunham,
0: a fellow alpha,
1: huh? I just hate that word. Endorsed endorsed the book as, quote unquote, brain inspiring on Instagram.
0: What does that even mean? I don't know. Okay.
1: (laughs) I don't know. Um, it's easy to get the sense, reading, lean in that Sandberg is writing for women who've already made it. Girl boss is for those who haven't, which means it's aimed at people who have nothing to lose, which makes it much riskier and more enjoyable manifesto. Quote, don't you dare alter your inner freak. Amoruso tells readers. (laughs) (laughs) The hope, of course, is that all these freaks become nasty gal customers, if not employees which is an interesting point, and the Tinder for an increased commercialization of feminism and that rise of boss bitches and the millennial trope of girl boss and she EO and boss babe and all the goddamn paraphernalia that went with it. Um, So Sophia basically has this platform to sell this concept, literally sell the concept, share it, hashtag it, market it with an extremely loyal following and a group of eager women driven for success. So she leveraged her personal accounts and the massive intellectual property assets, customer databases that Nasty Gal holds and amassed to acquire new customers, sell to already avid fans, and to build her own brand that will eventually turn into a passion project down the road. And one reason why it sparked and took off like it was So kind of like how mean girls turn the word fetch into a word, girl boss blew up and turned into a word because the popular girl made it the word. (laughs) Um, So girl boss wasn't just a mindset. It was an aesthetic. We saw a shift in jobs, businesses, and what was actually possible for the American dream for women, millennials are the generation of aspiration, as I've mentioned. So, encouraging aspiration resonated so, so strongly as this new wave of feminism sparked tidal waves, especially commercially. So, at mm-hmm. Nasty Gal, we executed this at a at a product level. You know, oh, yeah. I remember. <laughs> you know, I, I I think you know I know Amanda will remember a lot of this probably more than I will. But you know, obviously, we sold the book on Nasty Gal. Mm-hmm. But we also sold that Kate Blazer, like no one's business, which I would call like the girl boss,
0: like armor. Yes. And the style name, uh, because this is one of the categories I managed, was Mm -hmm. called Champagne Taste. Shut. I mean, we would Uh, sell. Oh, so many. So many of those. Month after month after month. Recolor it. At one point we did it in velvet. I mean, it was just constant. What was it all, what was it based on? So it was like a
1: blazer that had a cape back essentially. And
0: Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's so of that time. It makes me think mm-hmm. so much. I mean, it's like so dated now, but I'll still see knockoffs of it here and there. Uh I feel like it is actually a knockoff of something that Kim Kardashian wore. But mm. also like this is the time that we're in. This time mm-hmm. we're talking about the other role model for millennial women was Kim Kardashian. Lena Dunham, Kim Kardashian. (laughs) I know. I mean, it's like a really dark time. Mm -hmm. And I will say this, it wasn't much better than the early odds. It's something we've talked about in the past. But back then you were looking at Lindsay Lohan Mm -hmm. and Paris Hilton. Yeah. Nicole Mm -hmm. Richie. Like things weren't worse they might have been even slightly better at this time it's mm-hmm. like yeah. it, at least these women had more of a viewpoint beyond their sexuality you know it did yeah. feel refreshing i guess
1: and it makes sense that that blazer was really popular because that was like okay i'm a girl boss i'm a i'm an entre- i'm a professional in my career and i'm gonna come in with this boss jacket that's kind of feminized you know, mm-hmm, instead mm-hmm. of like a blazer, it was it, it was like a caped situation. Uh, we also had office supplies like nameplates with hashtag girlboss on them. I think mm-hmm. like notebooks and pencils and pens and, and like you know graphic work.
0: teas. Lots yeah. Of,
1: lots of graphic tees.
0: Yeah, and I mean I mean at this point, like Sophia herself was such a massive brand. Yeah. That we even did a whole story of product around her wedding. I mean, that's kind of crazy to think about, you know, like like Mm -hmm. I can't think of any other company that would have been doing that or has done that. Like Mm -hmm. we actually copied her wedding dress and sold it, you know? And because there was this belief that now this there was a little bit of a disconnect here, right? So Sophia's getting married and she's in her 30s and she's super rich. She can do whatever the fuck she wants, right? But our customers in general were a lot younger and they were not necessarily, in fact, very unlikely looking to get married anytime soon. They were Um, actually just looking to go to Vegas. Totally. And Coachella, right? Yes. We did, I don't know if you remember this, we did a whole capsule of these wedding dresses.
1: Yeah. And
0: it was a flop, right? Well, it fell apart for a bunch of reasons. We, business was bad and we had to cancel receipts, right? And- Things weren't executing to the right price point or quality, but we did get some of them. And there was some like marketing and editorial around it. And it was a bomb because our customer just wanted to go to Vegas,
1: you know, or go out to the club. Like what, when we mean Vegas, we mean she really wants to wear the most revealing bodcon dress, the highest, highest sexy shoes, a tiara. I don't know. What else does she wear it. You know, she's not really dressed as a girl. Boss. <laughs> yeah,
0: yeah, I know. And I, I don't know if you were with the company at this point, but I literally remember being in one of those Monday meetings. That was just those of us who were in like leadership for a product mm-hmm. and our boss talking about, maybe we should do a collab with Vera Wang. Were you there for that? This might've been right before you came. I mean, I, I don't like, remember this one now why why would we do a collab with vera wang once again our actual customer is all of 22 24 right <laughs> it was abs- it was absurd but once again yeah. this is because yeah. there was i will say at Nasty Gal beginning to be this widening divide where mm. the the sophia of the girl boss book is who our customer ex- aspires to be right and the her Sophia in the age and time of that book that it takes place resonates with the customer. But now we have Sophia in real life. Mm-hmm. She's in her 30s. She's getting married. She bought a house. She has tons of money. Suddenly she's not the customer anymore. And I think it was really hard to disconnect that because yeah. that brand was built off of Sophia.
1: hmm Yeah. And they loved her. Absolutely. Like she had such a great point of view that really did resonate. And then, you know, they brought in when she, when she started focusing on her own personal brand, they started bringing in executives that didn't necessarily understand the mindset necessarily. A lot of people
0: from Gymboree. Yes. A lot of people from Lululemon. Mm -hmm. I mean, these are not brands who have anything in common with Nasty Gal. Yeah. It was insane.
1: Yeah. Yeah. So perspective and tone and, you know, just like the, the understanding of, of our, of our, the customer base got a little bit, um, uh, what would it, what's a good word? Uh, shit on. <laughs> I don't know. I'm having a, it's margarita time. So uh-huh. shit on is the word that's coming out over here. <laughs> it's girl's night here, Sunday girl's, girl's night, night here.
0: Yeah. <laughs> Well,
1: I mean, and I did go on to Etsy to see what is still being put out there. And let's just say I was extremely disappointed to see a lot of cursive
0: on T-shirts
1: and mugs.
0: Yeah. I mean, it's still, we think this is a tragic trend. We think this is over. I got to tell you, it's still going. Mm -hmm. And I, I mean, over the years, I still have sales reps sending me stuff that is fucking girl boss and i'm it's Gross. first off it's really toned up i mean it it's is so it's wrong toned up but i work I, even at my most recent job i worked with someone who had like a girl boss mug oh. and it was cursive i want to say it was pink with <laughs> old gold lettering and she was like eh, ah, eh. Ah, and i'm just like oh god what is wrong with you
1: oh. Did you break it? Did you you, you break it on
0: purpose? (laughs) I should have because it's a person I don't like. That's all I'm going (laughs) to say.
1: Yeah. Uh, um, Well, this kind of leads us into like this faulty feminism. So millennial women wanted a piece of that magic sauce and related to Sophia, as we were talking about, seeing their aspirations to be a self-made celebrity business entrepreneur or even just a girl boss at their own job, you know, be your own boss. They wanted to celebrate themselves in the workplace and all the exciting new opportunities, new jobs, new companies, the new types of businesses that all started to become available, particularly in the VC disruptor world. The hashtag acted as a rallying cry for a generation of young women who might not otherwise uh, have thought to start their own business. Hashtag girl boss bore countless Hopes and dreams, even if ill worded, <laughs> it had the <laughs> rebellious feminist angle that particularly resonated, as we've mentioned. So, in an interview with Elle, uh, Sophia mused, Maybe girl boss is a new word for feminism. No. Nope. So, Amanda, Amanda, what do you think about that? <laughs> Maybe <laughs> girl boss. <laughs> Not- it's a new word for feminism. Uh, I mean, how work, much how much work have we done to get to this point for for that to be the new word for feminism?
0: I mean, once again, this goes back to this idea of just there being no foundation, like literally building a house but not putting in a foundation, so like it just falls over. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like this is so absurd. You can just like you spill actually, some champagne on it. And yeah, just tips over. It just tips over. It's like your cape. Gets caught in the wind and just <laughs> knocks it over. I mean, it's like <laughs> your cape blazer. By the way, it's not like a cool oh like cape. No. Anyway, I feel like you can't like you can't say "girl boss" is a new word for feminism. But then like absolutely, I mean, what that says to me is you don't know what feminism is. I think you think it's like women being in charge, which is like what incels think feminism is, yeah. right? Yeah. So I hear this and, and I'm not trying, like once again, this is not a beef with Sophia and we all fell for this hype it was that no one was asking the question, wait, why would girl boss be a new word for feminism? Yeah. Do you know what feminism is? Like, I, right. I just think. But can we just step back here? <laughs> we're going to talk about this yeah. later, but this was the rise, I mean, with all this girl boss product, for example, of feminism as like a consumer story, right? Feminism as a marketing story, as a line of product, as a. As, As a business model,
1: Amanda, you worked for a company where feminism was the business model. Oh,
0: yeah, it was. It was. And I will say. You rode the wave. I mean, I, I have so many feelings about that. You can't responsibly make money off of a belief system, a social movement, a cause. You can't. Make money off of feminism. You certainly shouldn't be making money off of anti-racism. You shouldn't be making money off of immigrants' mm-hmm. rights. I mean, I could go on and on and on, but this is exactly what's ta- what's happening during this time period, and this is almost yeah. the beginning of it because this is the beginning. Yeah, this was the tender. It's really just started to fall off in the last year or two, when mm-hmm. it's segued into now we don't we don't sell Girl Boss product as much. Now we sell things about women drinking wine or doing yoga, you know? <laughs> or staying in bed. Yeah, just exactly. Like they, exactly. Just in
1: bed. they don't even want to be bosses. They just want to be in bed.
0: Yeah, yeah, <laughs> exactly, exactly. And so what we're really looking at here is a marketing concept, not yeah. a replacement for feminism. And I doubt <laughs> Sophia really believed that either. It was just a good soundbite, right? Yeah,
1: yeah. Oh, definitely. I yeah. think so. I think yeah. she's definitely way smarter than that. Yeah, for sure. So. Medium said at the time, the white girl boss, and so many of them were white, sat at the unique intersection of oppression and privilege. She saw gender inequity everywhere she looked. This gave her something to wage war against. Racial inequity was never really on her radar. That was someone else's problem to solve. Which we will kind of find the kink is the kink in the girl boss armor here.
0: Mm-hmm, mm-hmm,
1: totally. So for more girl bosses here, you know, we started seeing these alpha female founders rise and find oh. more support. Um not a lot, mind you. Even to this day, only about two percent of VC funding goes to female founded companies.
0: Can you believe that? Two? I mean, percent. even today. I can't believe it because I've spent a lot Mm -hmm. of time in my previous job, the aforementioned feminist company, trying to pitch to VC, Mm -hmm. and it's terrible when you're a woman. It's like all the bad things we've been talking about times one hundred.
1: It's even worse if you're a minority too, because that is also another like two percent of black and Latinx companies are 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 found are founded by, by well are VC backed even even now I mean it, it that, that basically just paints this really sad picture of what's mm-hmm, going on mm-hmm. out there and hopefully things will start changing so the two percent of VC funding goes to female founded companies many for women by women brands you know we're talking like, lady stuff, lady products, things that, that, that women want. Obviously, if there was a man behind it, it wouldn't make any sense. So with growing Instagram followings and VC backing, various disruptor entrepreneurs who use personal brand and their opportunities and the opportunities that social media now allowed to build an engaged following, some embraced the terms girl boss or she-e-o even. So this conversation oh, about so- wait, that was like the worst, I think, maybe? she makes I me so mad.
0: Yeah, me too. It makes me want to fight someone. I makes
1: me mean, want to throw things. I just want to break. I want to break a mug that says she on it.
0: <laughs> <laughs> and I want to, like, just rip up a pair of panties that says hashtag boss babe. Oh, or boss bitch. Oh, Jeez. that one oh. makes me squeeze my knees together. Oh, so gross. Yeah. So this
1: conversation about social media celebrity merged with entrepreneur is so fascinating. And I came across this really interesting article from Fast Company in 2019. It's called The Instagram Trap. Social influence is helping women build brands as long as they follow the rules. Entrepreneurial women are finding that they have unprecedented influence whether they want it or not. The female founder as influencer phenomenon didn't emerge overnight. Investors have long sought out entrepreneurs who embody a a certain kind of magnetism. Um, says Kristen Green, founder, partner at nine-year-old venture capital firm, Forerunner Ventures, who has invested in a number of high-profile, female-forward brands over the years. As a founder, you're going to have to move mountains, she says. You're going to have to compel so many people to get on that journey with you, including investors, employees, and customers. And there is some irony in this article because most of the entrepreneurs mentioned fall from grace shortly after but i think it is really fascinating that they are looking to invest in female founder companies where the female founder is such like a celebrity figure themselves and like that is probably one of the other reasons why it's really hard to get ahead in the vc capitalism game because it's hard to be a celebrity you know mm-hmm. so you have, not only do you have to be a celebrity but you also have to have a great idea, you know, like where are the other, you know, the other brands don't necessarily always have to have that. Mm-hmm. So the female founders speak quite often about transparency and empowering women, not just in their community and their customer base, but right there in their own business structures, magical <laughs> places full of rainbows and unicorns for women to roam free, unencumbered by society's prejudices. I mean, we saw that at Girl Boss. I mean, if you remember going in to the break room and seeing that giant quote, I don't remember what the quote was. I really wish I had a picture of it, but I remember reading
0: it. We empower women to live their best Mm. lives or something like that. It was just garbage talk. That's what it was. Did you ever feel that way at work? Did you ever feel like you were living your best life? Oh, yeah.
1: Oh, yeah. I sat next to that thing crying all the time. Yes, I do remember that. I
0: lived (laughs) on those protein boxes from Starbucks mm-hmm. and booze for like mm-hmm. the entire time I worked there.
1: <laughs> really empowering, really empowering. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I think, you know, I, I think, that, you know, the, like, and you know, the, the, some of the people in the executive team really just so empowering. you know, we, you know, you, 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 it's a Friday, you know, you're going to have, um, a business meeting with them on Monday and all you're doing is just having a complete mental breakdown in the bathroom because, you know, Monday is a couple mm-hmm, days away. Mm-hmm. Like that is so empowering. You know, those like those people that really love being in a room with women that they can tear apart. Mm-hmm. I just love, I love, that. I love that feeling. Anyway. So some, some of these companies that had these new female founders, we're talking moon juice, reformation, Thinks away. Outdoor Voices, The Wing, Glossier, Bandeau, Man Repeller, Who, What, Where. Dun, dun, dun.
0: So we're going to leave you with a cliffhanger here. Uh, and we'll be back next week with the downfall of Girl oh. <laughs> <laughs> Uh So thank you for listening to another episode. We look forward to having, having you here next time. For sure, because it's going to be great. And mm-hmm. uh, you can, you know, follow us on Instagram at underscore the underscore department. All of these articles and other things that we just talked about will be available on our website, thedepartment.world. department.world. Uh, that's right. I guess that's all I have. You have anything else to say before we end this episode?
1: No, I'm just actually excited to talk about the next part.
0: Oh, yeah. Part, the so. next one is going to be hella juicy. So get ready, guys. Get yourself a canned yeah, margarita. <laughs> All right. Bye. Bye. Bye.